0: Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-host. First up, unbeknownst to him, he is in fact a real-life wizard who can cast real-life spells. It's Matt Morgan.
1: You know, I was recently informed that it's actually inappropriate to make a dad joke if you are not actually a dad. Um, Some would say it's a faux pas, Uh, so (laughs) I definitely apologize for all of that.
0: Uh, Matt, are you a Gilder Baron? Because oof. <laughs> eh? eh? Wow. Eh? Come on, that was a good I response. wish you could see the
1: disappointment on my face right
0: now. <laughs> All right. Oh. Up next, the reason Matt doesn't know he's a wizard is because Dana isn't letting any of his spells resolve. That's Dana Roach.
2: Um, so it looks like Watsy has already started accidentally leaking cards from the Instrad Commander set in the new Forgotten Realms decks. So any hope we had of a break is clearly not happening. <laughs> Um, we're basically Amazon employees at this point. We just work 24 seven till we drop. So, uh, it's, it's
0: starting again, folks. There's a reason I haven't been reading dystopia novels for a while. It's (laughs) because we're in one. Anyway, this is the EDH cast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all of that
1: data a little more context. Hey, Matt, what is it that we're talking about in this week's episode? Well, this week we're going to talk about all the face commanders from all the pre-cons that we've seen over the years and see which commanders have retained the most decks from their original pre-con and which commanders have retained the least amount of cards from their original pre-cons. Yeah, this is a very
0: funky and fun topic that I'm really excited for us to get into. Taking a look at the pre-cons that we've had over the years and how many cards from those pre-cons are actually still being used by those commanders today should be a whole bunch of fun. Real quick, before we hop into our main topic, let's pause and give a huge thank you to the folks at The Command Zone who handled the post-production work on our podcast, making it look as awesome as it does. And we want to thank our sponsors for the show, too. The EDH Recast is sponsored by Card Kingdom
2: and TCG Player, two of the finest places on the internet to buy little pieces of cardboard with pictures of monsters on them. (laughs) <laughs> Just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question, choose the vendor link down below, and doing that supports both the site and the show.
1: And if you'd prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. We have patron-exclusive content. You can get those patron-exclusive altar sleeves that we produced. Those are awesome. They're amazing. Um, so make sure you head over to patreon.com slash EDH to pick up all of your patron tiers.
0: And we also want to shout out one of our patrons every episode. This episode is dedicated to Cavden Stark. Cavden, thank you so much for the support. Also, your name is really rad.
1: I mean, I just finished literally last night Game of Thrones. So Cavden Stark um, of House Stark, first of your name, um, however those titles go. Uh, very nice. <laughs> we appreciate the support so much. Thank you, Cavden Stark.
0: Thank you, Captain Stark. We should offer um,
2: as a patron tier reward. Access to Matt's (laughs) live reaction to the last season of Game of Thrones in our private chat.
0: mm, (laughs) I... Right. Yeah, we could completely sideline this podcast if we don't bring it back in real quick. <laughs> Matt, for the, for the sake of everyone listening, we're sorry. And um, welcome, welcome to the fold. Uh, I'm not that mad. You've just I'm just through. disappointed. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys, let's get into our main topic. We're talking about those commanders from Precons past, just the face commanders, and seeing how many cards from their Precons are actually still being used in their data today. So we compared and contrasted a whole lot of lists compared to their average data here it's going to be a whole lot to go through and it should be really really fun because there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the commanders and whether there are cards that are still worth using in those decks or whether they've maybe moved on and what are the reasons for that were the decks not outfitted to that commander very well or have things just been really really power crept so that's what we're going to be going through there are a few disclaimers that i think we need to get out of the way though because when we take a look at the numbers of cards that they're still using from those decks there are a few cards like you know Soul Ring or Command Tower that we do have to automatically discount from that data.
2: So with this data, we're already automatically removing um, three cards from the mix just from the get-go. We're taking out the face commander, we're taking out command tower, and we're taking out soul ring just
0: immediately before we get any further. Right. There's going to be, like, those show up in all of the decks, so those numbers would be artificially inflated, so we're not going to do those. We're also not going to count basic lands, because that could futz with the numbers too, and there's no reason to count those. If three forests or two mountains have changed, that's not very interesting. So basics also are not included in this count.
1: And the the mana fixing is always really hard to consider especially you know when you go from year to year um, some decks have four colors some decks have three some only have one color so it's mm. it's kind of hard to keep in mind that um, there might be signets there might be talismans all sorts of different mana fixing um, so that's definitely going to skew the numbers a little bit every now and that's just something to keep in mind and also we're we pointed out already but we're only going to talk about the face commanders for each deck if we went through every single legendary creature from every <laughs> single pre-constructed deck. Um, We'd be here um, probably just as long as it would take for me to rant about Game of Thrones. So um, we're just not going to cover that. We're just going to talk about the face commanders for this episode. It might be something we do down the road. Um, But for today, only face commanders. Yes. So let's get to it. Let's
0: talk about probably year by year, each commander's precon and how many cards from that pre-con are still showing up in its average deck data today, according to the data on EDHREC. We're going to start off with that classic 2011, the set that included such famous commanders as Kalia of the Bast, who cheats angels and demons and dragons into play, the Mimiplasm, who loves to eat stuff in the graveyard. I love the Mimiplasm. Zedru, the uh, Jeskai commander that gives your stuff away for cool benefits. Riku, who copies your spells and gave who loves to play with plus one counters and a bunch of separate link tokens.
1: Yeah, so so the commanders that had the least amount of carryover from the precon to what we're seeing on the commander page today, um, the least is Riku. Only ten cards are making into the from the precon into the current page today. Um, Zedru the hearted coming in at number two with twelve cards. And then Gave and Kalia both carry over 13 cards from the original pre-con. And the commander that has carried the most into today's typical deck that we're seeing um, is actually the Mimeoplasm. So 22 cards from that original pre-constructed deck are showing up on the Mimeoplasm's deck page today.
0: Which I think means Mimeoplasm is the winner.
2: (laughs) Uh, Depends how you define winner, Joey. I, I would argue that Riku is perhaps the winner in that
0: he's gotten the most new good cards for the deck. That's a good point. Yeah. Riku has had the least amount of carryover, does that mean that maybe the cards that were in that pre-con were kind of power crept out over the years? Do you think that would be my guess? Um, in part, also
2: Riku is pretty wide open. You can copy creatures and you can copy spells. So there's a lot of room there to find better cards versus, say, Kalia, where you're only caring about better angels, demons, or dragons or something. There's a <laughs> lot more room in a Riku deck to just find a better card than what came in the precon.
1: Yeah, and anytime there's a seven mana sorcery that gets printed, like it's instantly a contender if it's in team or colors for a Riku <laughs> of the Two Reflections deck. Like that's just kind of how it works. Whereas Mimeoplasm, Mimeoplasm is a little more specific, like you want either creatures with some powerhouse abilities or some just insane stats. So Mimeoplasm has to be a little more selective, I would say, than the typical, you know, other four commanders um, from this preconstructed set.
2: Well, and and if you think about it, like basically it's twice as much of a pool, right? Like Mimeoplasm probably wants really... Good creatures in that deck that it can take from the graveyard. Riku wants to copy those same creatures, kind of, and spells, where Mimuplasm just doesn't care about the spells at all. So your, your, your pool of available new cards for Riku deck is essentially twice what it is for Mimuplasm deck.
0: Yeah, and looking through some of these specific stuff that came from those precons, cons had plenty of goodies that you'd want to keep there, like Buried Alive was in its original precon, for example, or Living Death, which is an amazing reanimation spell. So there were some really cool goodies, whereas someone like Kalia, like, it got to keep, you know, there's an Angel of Despair, for example, that it loves to keep around, but Riku, some of the only stuff that it actually ended up retaining from its pre-con is, like, A Lightning Greaves and a Brainstorm and then like a couple of Mana Rocks. But there wasn't a whole bunch of carryover, really, because, yeah, there's so much more that it can be doing. It's moved on to greater pastures, it seems.
2: Very much so. So if we jump ahead to 2013, um, we have five Commanders here, all of which are also three colors. We have Prosh, the dragon that sacrifices the kobolds that come into play when you cast it to buff itself up. Uh, we have Marith, Will the Wild, the Naya commander that is kind of a fixed version of Gave where you can sacrifice <laughs> things to, to to make it bigger. Well, it has counters when it comes into play. We have Jaleva, the um, vampire in Grixis colors that lets you free cast spells at the top of people's libraries. We have Derevi, the bird that's kind of a stacks commander that, that taps and untaps things um, on attack. And last but not least, a Laurel, the esper commander that tends to be almost exclusively used to gain a life index. Lots of life.
1: Yeah, so the commanders that we're seeing that have the least amount of carryover, um, we start at Derevi, the bant bird. Um, only six cards from the original precon are making it into today's page, um, followed up by Merith, who... Only has seven cards. Um, For some reason, people like changing their plus one plus one counters around. That's a very popular theme. So a lot of (laughs) Marath decks probably are getting updated fairly often. Um, Coming up next, we have Jaleva. Uh, Only 10 cards from the original pre-constructed deck are making onto the page today, followed up by Prosh with 11 cards. And then finally, Oloro has 13 cards from the original pre-constructed deck that we're seeing in the typical deck today.
0: I feel like this is a very, very low amount of turnout, and a lot of these commanders are very, very extremely powerful, some making it especially into the competitive sphere. That would definitely explain why we're seeing such a low amount of cards from the Precons that would make it into their average deck nowadays, because their abilities just lend themselves to so much more broken stuff than the Precon really suited them up with. The Precon cards are of cool power level, but... There's not a lot that they need to keep from that deck when you're building one of these up, especially if you're going to tune it up and optimize it to its fullest extent.
2: The, the one thing that really jumps out at me looking at the two extreme ends here is looking at the Eloro deck, which has the, the most cards that stay in the list. I feel like that of the five commanders is probably the one that... Most gets played as design kind of intended It was very mm-hmm. clearly a life-gain commander and people tend to play it that way Compared right. to to Revy, that gets heavily played as kind of a stasis commander where you're using your commander as a way to Untap things when you've got the board locked down I am guessing that probably wasn't the intent for that commander because it doesn't have a lot of <laughs> Stacks ish cards in the deck at all. So the way people have tended to play that one Doesn't seem to be how
0: it was originally designed to be played. Very, very much so. When we look at some of the specific cards that carry over from the precon, Olaro, you know, he keeps around that Divinity of Pride that benefits from having a bunch of life, or Wall of Reverence came in the original deck and that also gains you a bunch more life. And you know what? Even Toxic Deluge came from that precon and it's a life gain deck, so that's able to use for sure. Whereas when you look at the cards that Derevi kept from the precon, it's like lands and sickness there's not a lot from the actual spells on the deck that that commander needs nowadays which i think completely lends to your point dana
1: well and this was the the year that they kind of played around with commanders entering from the command zone it was a really unique time for pre-cons because it was so early in commander's life cycle um, Mm. that they kind of experimented like for a little bit like each and every one of these commanders was considered like a top tier like one of the most powerful things you can be doing Just because I think they kind of overtuned the the command zone ETB effects on all of these, especially like Prosh was a combo commander for the longest time, still is, still is if you look at the typical page, but each and every one of these um, for a while kind of broke the brains of a lot of players
0: very much. And Prosh, you know what,
1: there were some other sacrifice outlets that came from the Prosh
0: deck, like Viscerous Ear or Goblin Bombardment that have happily stuck around in its data but yeah, there's definitely a very different tone from these compared to what the original design seems to be. So that's definitely something to keep in mind here. I really like that point that you guys made. How about we move on now to 2014? The 2014 Commander Precon Cycle featured a bunch of mono-colored commanders that were planeswalkers for the first time and these were very, very interesting. We start off with Nihiro the planeswalker who cares about equipment Teferi, who untaps a bunch of your stuff, Obnixlis, who made demons and drains life, Duretti, the artifact commander in mono-red that we all really, really love to just get a bunch of stuff out of the graveyard. I love Graveyard so much. And then Frey Elise rendered it out with a mono-green elf tribal deck. What are the numbers that we're seeing from this precon cycle, and how do they compare to 2013? Um, the
2: contrast is pretty stark here. We're looking at Teferi um, with the least amount of of cards still in the deck, which is six. And that's Ooh. the same number we saw with Derevi um, in 2013. But then things change up pretty wildly. Then we move to Nahiri at 20, which is way beyond the 13 <laughs> we're looking at Aloro. Um, then you have Doretti and Fraley's both tied at 30. And Obnixilis is still keeping 35 cards from that original deck. Um triple what the numbers are for the most cards from 2013 in a single deck
0: whoa uh,
1: see i thought 35 was the amount of decks that people have built with obnoxious <laughs> i mean those are those were probably very similar i was a little confused my apologies um but i i think that commander just wasn't that popular at all um no. so a lot of folks just didn't build it so there's i think the pre-con effect is kind of lingering on obnoxious more than more than the other four for sure
2: I think we're looking at some of the of a similar thing with the outliers here we saw in 2013, where we have a Teferi deck that, you know, wasn't probably intended to be a, a combo deck with Chain Veil, and that's very much the place you tend to see it used. So, people have built a very kind of linear list, for the most part, using that Chain Veil combo that's changed out a ton of cards to best facilitate that, versus Obnixilis, even though um, it's maybe not doing what was intended as clearly as a Laurel, it's not necessarily doing anything because the deck doesn't really <laughs> suggest a particular build, build path. So I, I would guess a lot of people just take it, swap out some good cards and kind of call it a day.
0: Effectively, yeah. And from the data, that is really what we see. Like the stuff that Teferi kept from the precon include a couple of mana rocks and notably Cyclonic Rift was in that precon. Whereas Obnixilis, it kept a bunch of demons, like Overseer of the Damned, for instance. So it is mostly like, you know what, this is a cool thematically demon deck, is what we see from the minimal amount of data that we do have for Obnixilis. It feels to me like the most interesting stuff comes from Duretti and Freyelis, though. Like those commanders are fascinating to see what they kept around because Duretti had plenty of cool red stuff that he wanted to mess with like scrap mastery for instance can you tell that i really like pulling stuff out of graveyards it gets your <laughs> graveyard artifacts back it's so cool and there were plenty of really cool things in addition to the mana rocks and to other artifacts that it wants to cheat out into play it had cool spells that were new to help facilitate it and then frayalise i mean it's an elf tribal deck you've got a whole
1: bunch of elves there why change them well and actually you make a really good point but i actually think i was thinking of it taking the deck the other way. I'm surprised the numbers aren't lower and that there aren't more new cards in the Duretti and Freilis decks because mm. almost every single new set has some sort of artifact that is probably going to be cool to flip around with Duretti, or there's going to be elves in dang near every set as well, which means <laughs> there's a lot of potential new cards for Freilis decks as well. Like, yes, you have your staples like Elvish Archdruid who makes a bunch of mana whenever you have a bunch of elves in play um, or Priest of Titania, stuff like that. But yeah, like there, there's definitely a bunch of competition coming in for those frailly decks. I'm kind of surprised those two commanders don't have a lower carryover from the precon to today just because the amount of cards that those decks might want to be playing.
0: Well, and notably, those are themes that we actually see echoed in future pre-cons in other years as well. So maybe we'll be able to see what Artifact and Elf Tribal Decks in future pre-cons and what their carryover is looking like so that we can compare potentially. So on that note, how about we move from 2015 into—excuse me, from 2014 into 2015— Time has no meaning, and I've gotten completely mixed up. Let's go on to our next set of pre-cons.
1: Well, in 2015, we had uh, the Boros Commander, Kalemny, um all sorts of giants and big creatures. We had a Zuri Claw of Progress, which is all about the little creatures um, in the Simic colors. We had Mizics coming in in the it. Um, kind of spell slinger type of decks. We had Marin, which Joey talks about all the time. Nobody's ever all heard the time. of nobody's <laughs> ever heard of Marin um, on this show before, but she does Golgari reanimation things. And then we have Daxos, who's all about enchantments and those Orzhov, those black white colors. Um, these were some pretty interesting commanders. Um, a new mechanic that came out with this set too.
0: Yes, the experience counters from here, and also this is where we start to see some other you know. In previous pre-cons, we had stuff like the introduction of the Commander Sphere, which might be, you know, that's probably pretty consistent among some of the other data that we saw. Here, it was a Thought Vessel to give you infinite hand size. That showed up in all of these decks, so there are some commonalities here that are pumping up the numbers a little bit, but again, the numbers are pretty darn big compared to some of the earlier years. When we start looking through these numbers, Marin uses 19 cards that originally came from her pre-con. Moving up next is Azuri, uses 22 that were originally from the pre-con. Nowadays, Mizzix uses 26. Cards that originally came from that precon, or that excuse me, were printed in that precon. Daxos uses 30, and Calemni, the Boros giant, is using 41 cards that were uh, that came from that precon. So there's a lot of carryover for Calemni, a little bit from Aaron, but a lot for Calumny. 41.
1: I mean, I Joey, I think my joke that I made about Obnixilis also applies to Calemni here, with 41 being the total amount of decks. Made because I, if I remember correctly, that that was not a popular deck at all.
2: Well, my guess is players put as much effort into upgrading their columny decks as Watson did in designing it in the first place, which Woo! is little or none.
1: <laughs> I want pre- I want preview cards in the future. So <laughs> I'm going uh, to distance myself from that comment, even though
0: I don't necessarily disagree. Ooh, yeah, there's less than 300 calumny decks nowadays, but dang, that's some saucy stuff. What are some specific cards that we're seeing that these commanders are still using that came from their decks? Are there any standouts?
2: Um, You know, looking at the Marin deck, and and I will quick note too, it's really shouldn't be a surprise that the Marin deck has the least holdovers because it's a very strong deck. (laughs) Um, It's understandable that whenever something that's efficient with a good ETB comes out, people want to swap it in. I I wasn't surprised to see that with the least Mm -hmm. holdovers at all. And when you look at the cards staying in that deck, that's what it is. It's the really strong traditional cards, things like Sakura Tribe, Elder, or Eternal Witness that people want to play multiple times in a turn or things. Like skull clamp that you can put on whatever you're going to sacrifice and then replay to draw a bunch of cards. So the Marin one and the cards completely make sense there.
1: I mean, don't tell Joey, but I actually I enjoyed the Azuri Claw of Progress deck when I had that. <laughs> um, there were some fun plus one plus one counter synergies that you could play around with. Um, Forgotten Ancient, Champion of Lambholt, those are two cards that you still see in a, a huge percentage of plus one plus one counter decks. Um, Geyer Sage, one of my favorite cards of all time, Arachno Genesis, um yeah. that originated in this pre-con deck. And that's if you want to see me giggle like a, just a little schoolboy, <laughs> watch me cast Arachnogenesis, folks.
0: Yeah, there were definitely some really cool standout cards that came from this deck. And you know what? Even though we were giving Calumny a hard time. Like, there were some cool cards that came in that deck, truth be told. Stuff like Urza's Incubator and Gisela Blade of Gold Knight, the amazing double damage angel. That was also, that was printed in this Calumny deck too. So, you know what, there are some good things that were in that deck. And that might be why Calumny's keeping as much as it is. Or, again, this might be a tribal thing. Giant tribal doesn't always come up with a whole bunch. So, if you are building Calumny as the giant tribal direction that the Precon set out, makes sense to keep a whole bunch of them in there because... That's just, where else are you going to find a bunch of Giants? They're all right there for you.
2: Well, and also in recent years, we've gotten Giants that have that have been in is it colors. Um, so maybe we also haven't gotten new Giants that fit this deck as often as we would with, say, Elves that just tend to almost always <laughs> right. be in green.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we'll just move on to a happier year for Joey when it comes to pre-constructed decks and getting away from Zuri cloth <laughs> progress. Um, I don't like them. 2016 brought us the four-color commanders. That was something that uh, folks have been asking for for a long time. And we finally got that in the form of four-color commanders. Um, this is also when partners came around, which means we're definitely not talking about the legendary creatures that aren't the face commanders here. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to the face commander... Creatures. Um, we do have Kaneos and Tiro, who are the, the group hug, um, no black in their color identity. We had Yidris, who was all about cascading and trampling and cascading some more um, in the no white deck. Uh, we had Saskia, which was in the no blue deck, which is the best deck, obviously, just by color um, <laughs> color identity. Um, that was all about the combat, dealing damage to literally anyone and everyone that even just happened to be watching the game. Uh, Brea, <laughs> which did all the artifact things with uh, no green, in the color identity, and then Atraxa, uh, the legendary Atraxa, uh, proliferating all over the place with no red in the color identity there. Um, this was kind of a huge groundbreaking set in a lot of different ways, um, but what are we seeing with the numbers as far as the face commanders go?
2: And here we're looking at the the Brea deck, it has the least amount of holdover cards at 19. Uh, then we move to Yidris at 21, um, Atraxa just slightly above that at 23. Saskia then at 26. And last but not least, um, K-, uh, K and T. Uh, how do you say that, Joey? I, I always forget. Is it, is it Kineos?
0: Kineos? Kineos and Tiro. Kineos and Tiro.
2: Kineos and Tiro. I got it. I'll remember that for the least the next five minutes. Um, <laughs> they're keeping 41 cards in the deck. Yeah. Um, so we're Dang. looking at a, a, quite a few more than than
0: Brea at the bottom. Very, very much. And I think that it is important to note here, since these were four color decks, they had a lot more color fixing to do. So I think that it's safe to say that a few extra Signets or like a Felwar Stone, something like that, might be bumping up the numbers. There might be a little bit more carryover from the lands especially, but that's still a very big contrast for us to note. Like Brea has always gotten a bunch of new artifacts. Matt, like you were mentioning earlier, there are tons of cool new artifacts and tons of new cool artifact synergy cards to upgrade into over time compared to a group hug strategy with kaneo's interior that seems a lot more limited in the directions that it can branch out into so you might want to keep a lot more of the cards that enable that group hug strategy since it is a bit more niche uh, and that is probably why we see so much carryover from kaneo's interior i mean there are only so many you know rites of flourishing and temple bells out there for example compared to brea who can you know she's going to keep the ethereum sculptor or the mirror retriever or the Sharoom that came in her deck but she's also going to totally upgrade anything that you can. I mean, it's an artifact deck. That's what they love to do. They love to tinker and tune up.
1: Well, and when you think about it too, like between Bray and Saskia, which is the the one through four, however you want to approach it, um, there's only seven cards difference, which is a pretty narrow gap compared to the other years that we've looked at. Mm. Um, so if you take out, like you said, Joey, the Felwar stones, the the extra signets that might have made its way into the deck, like these numbers are all probably pretty low when you think about it as far as new cards that are coming into the decks that are flavor types of cards. You know, you have your your mana fixing, which every deck needs, especially when you're four colors. Mm. So if you look at the kind of the, the cards that are being added to that you know that you don't really need to add but you want to add into these commanders there's a lot of different spice going in there so it's it's actually kind of cool that even with all these the signets and all that um the numbers are still kind of low but they're all actually fairly grouped together
2: well and one more weird caveat i can throw in there too is i i just looked these numbers up right now and on average, these had five or six less land, less basic lands per deck than, than the three color decks the year before too. And when, when we remove the basics, there's just less things to remove in these decks than we had in compared to the three color
0: decks, let alone the monocolor decks. Mm, that's a good point. A thing that also catches my eye here are the specific cards that carried over from the Atraxa deck. They're very generically proliferate is I think how I'll say it. So some of the cards that Atraxa has kept around from the precon include like Deep Glow Skate or Thrummingbird or Tezzeret's Gambit, which have a lot of like, these are just things that can help proliferate in general because Atraxa is a very, very diverse commander. But those are cards that are good whether you're going with plus one counters or you're going with super friends, for example. So it's kind of interesting to note too that A lot of the carryover we're seeing there has a lot of multiple applicability compared to some of the more niche strategies where we see a lot more specific carryover like with Keneos and Tiro did.
2: Well, and the thing that Bray specifically wants to do is a thing that we get actual sets and decks built around, which is interaction with commanders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not long after this deck came out, we actually got two sets set in Kaladesh skewing heavily into running artifacts. We've gotten commander decks since then built around artifacts. There's artifacts in every set, whereas the rest of the commanders don't necessarily have cards all the time pitched
0: so specifically into what they're doing. Dana, that is a really interesting point there. Something that I think we might see echoes of when we get to the 2017 tribal pre-con decks. But there's one thing that I want to do before we move on to the rest of these pre-cons because we got to pause and we have to do one of our favorite segments here, challenging the stats. It's just absolutely one of our favorite things to do here because there's so much data on Trek, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards see too much play or too little play. So we like to challenge those statistics. Let's do that before we get to talking about more of those pre-cons. Matt, we'll start with you this week. What's your challenge?
1: Well, my challenge is actually courtesy of a video you recently did. Um, you're doing your little upgrade decks. Um, <laughs> please, what, what, what's the title of this for those of you, those, those people and listeners, listener land the, that don't know? The
0: Upping the Average series on YouTube, which ah, you should totally yes. check out. And it's not little at all, Matt. How very I, I, I totally
1: you? knew what the name of the video series was, but thank you for enlightening <laughs> those who didn't know. Um mm-hmm. But anyway, so, Joey, you recently did a video, uh, Grevin, Predator, Captain. Um, It's such a weird deck, and you've played it on twitch.tv slash Recast many, (laughs) many times. Um, And it's it's a weird deck because, well, you get to do kind of weird things. Um, The typical deck, actually, currently, about 50% of folks out there are playing Rotting Regisaur in the deck. And if you want Rotting Regisaur to kind of be a big mana efficient creature to go out on the battlefield, just so you can sacrifice with Grevin's ability, um, there's another card that I think people are maybe overlooking a little bit, and that card is Relic Golem. So Relic Golem is a three mana artifacts golem, uh, which is a 6-6, and that's all you really need to know. It has a downside, <laughs> which is it can't attack or block unless an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard, and you can pay two and tap it to have target player mill two cards. But you don't really care about that. Um, The same reason you don't really care about Rotting Regisaur making you discard cards on your turn. Whenever you have Greven Predator Captain on the battlefield um, and he attacks, you may sacrifice another creature. And if you do, you draw cards equal to that creature's power and lose life equal to that creature's toughness. So like Rotting Regisaur, which lets you get, what, six cards, seven cards? a lot of cards. Um, Relic Golem (laughs) is going to get you six cards at the cost of six life. Um, That's just a super efficient way to A, draw a bunch of cards for one, and two, you get Greven pretty buffy from his his ability of getting plus X plus O where X is the amount of life. life You have lost this turn. Uh, Relic Golem just a great card. I think it fits into what this deck is trying to do very, very well. Um, Just three mana to essentially draw six, get plus six, plus O for Grevin. There's a lot going on in this deck, and I think this just fills so many of those roles.
0: Yeah, Relic Golem doesn't even show up on Graven's page, which is totally it needs to be there. And also, Matt, I don't think I'll ever be able to get over the fact that you said A for the first part of your list and then two for the next part of your list. I just wanted B. to keep you on
1: your toes. Make sure you are listening to me, um, which I now know <laughs> that you do.
0: And I know that you do too, because you watched the Upping the Average video and I'm very, very happy that it that it resonated with you there, Matt.
1: Okay. And I totally know that it is called Upping the Average. But folks in Listener Land also know that as well.
0: <laughs> All right. Dana, how about your challenge?
2: Uh, my challenge is brought to us by listener Jack Martyr, and it's a overplayed card. Um, in the few Volo Guide to Monsters decks we've already seen showing up on the site. Um, as a reminder, Volo reads whenever you cast a creature spell that doesn't share a creature type with a creature you control or a creature card in your graveyard, copy that spell. And the challenge is on Guardian Project, an enchantment that reads whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, if it doesn't have the same name as another creature you control or a creature card in your graveyard, draw a card. Um, because of the way Golo works, excuse me, Volo works, the token enters the battlefield first because of the ability on Volo, um, which won't trigger Guardian Project because the token and then the original will come into play and Guardian Project sees the original and the token and says well you already have something with that name so you don't draw a card so it's very much a non in a volvo deck and it's it's showing up in about one third of the volvo decks we're seeing on the website
0: and it is uh it probably just shouldn't be in that deck at all that is a very keen challenge so thank you our listeners are real good at challenge the stats y'all can i just say that yeah that was an excellent find for sure Excellent. All right, I'm going to move to mine now, and I'm looking at an equipment that I don't think is getting enough love for Sir Gwyn, Hero of Asheville. Sir Gwyn is a very fascinating Mardu commander that lets you equip equipment to your knights for just a cost of zero, which plays in really, really well for any of those really big equipment that have huge buffs and stuff, but sometimes they just have really cool utility effects that are really awesome, too, such as the case for Heartseeker, a four-mana equipment that says the equipped creature gets plus two, plus one, and can tap, unattach the Heartseeker, and destroy target creature. It also has a hefty equip cost of five, But Ser doesn't care about that because it will just make it attached to your knights for zero mana instead. So you can just attach Heartseeker to any number of your knights, tap them for a quick destroy target creature, and then you can reattach it to another one of your knights so that you can keep threatening. What a great rattlesnake effect on an equipment that is only showing up in like less than a quarter of Sir Gwyn decks. This is a very, very cool ability that you can just move down the line with a whole bunch of knights, or you can attack with Sir Gwyn who's got Vigilance, and then tap mid-combat so that you can destroy something and continue your attack. A lot of utility here for some very cool equipment, so give Heartseeker a try if you're looking to bash face with a big knight.
2: Alright, let's move back to our main topic. Um, One thing I mentioned earlier was sets influencing the cards in these decks. 2017 is the year where we got four commander decks all based around tribes, and that was also a year we had Ixalan, um, a set that was based around tribes, with a little bit of overlap there in terms of cards that cared about specific tribes. We have Edgar Markov, the vampire commander that makes tokens when you cast a vampire. We have Arabo, War of the World, the cat commander that buffs your cats from the command zone when they attack and buffs them even more if it happens to be in play. Um, The Ur-Dragon that just lets you do crazy things with dragons um, (laughs) as well as reducing the cost on the Ur-Dragon itself. And Anala that cares very much about wizards in Grixis colors. So, four very strong commanders, all very heavily tribal influenced.
1: Yeah, well, it, we're seeing that in the numbers, too. That it turns out when you build a tribal deck, like, and you put a bunch of just very good creatures for that tribe in general, um, you're going to have a fairly high retainment um, when it comes to all those. So, Anala actually is the least retentive. As far as cards from the precon that we're seeing on the page today, uh, 28 cards are staying from the precon. Um, then we go to Edgar Markov, actually, which 35 cards um, are staying in the precon um, onto today's page, and then Arabo and the Ur Dragon both are tied at 43 cards sticking around. Um, Arabo, we obviously know is the, the the cat and one of the first actually um, kind of cat commander tribal type of decks, but Ur Dragon turns out if you just put a bunch of big powerful (laughs) dragons into a deck like they're just going to stick around because uh, the bigger and the better that means you're just cheating bigger and better things into play
0: And I feel like this is also so easy to point to some specific cards in the deck and be like, yeah, let's, of course I'm not going to take that one out. Captivating Vampire, which buffs up all of your vampires and gains control of stuff, let's keep that in the Vampire Tribal deck. Udvara Hellkite, which makes you more dragons when you attack with dragons, let's keep that in the dragon deck. Kasali Pride Mage, which does a bunch of cool artifact enchantment destruction when you play a bunch more cats, no reason to take that out of the Cat Tribal deck. So there's a bunch of ingredients here that no matter how many upgrades you're going to make to these decks it definitely like there's some solid picks for the tribal strategies here and those are just some creatures there's also amazing spells too
1: yeah i i don't know anyone that bought the edgar markov deck and took out the teferis protection (laughs) unless maybe it was to sell the teferis protection to buy another pre-con so um (laughs) that card is just insanely powerful but that's one that we saw um in these pre-cons. But yeah, it's there's some very, very good spells. I mean, even like the Arabo deck had Nazan and Hammer of Nazan, which was just a very powerful artifact um synergy between Nazan and, and his hammer. Um there's a lot of just really good stuff just in general. Like a lot of cards that just are good in the tribal decks and outside, like Kasali Slingers is very, very good if you're playing, you know, five or six cats even, um, but then obviously the more the better.
2: One thing I'll quick point out too, um, you know, Anawa being the wizard deck. Um, has the most changes or or at least has kept the least amount of cards, Um, there's the most options there as well. Like wizards as a tribe is something that we've seen going back since the beginning of Magic. And every set tends to have a lot of wizards at all rarities as well. You know, yes, we've had dragons since the beginning and and vampires as, as well, but they tended to be only rares, there's less slots available. Um, and while vampires have been around, I actually went through all the vampires way back when this art- when this set came out um, for EDH rec and wrote an article. There actually wasn't that many vampires in magic prior to Innistrad. There were you know a handful and a handful of sets, but they seemed more prevalent than they really were. Whereas there was just hundreds and hundreds of choices for wizards.
1: Now, Dana, are you sa- are you saying that Sanger Vampire is not an EDH staple? <laughs> because the original I was-
2: Sanger didn't show up in a lot of Edgar <laughs> Markov decks.
1: All right, fair. That's fair.
0: Well, and Dana, I think there's actually a secret double up that's happening here, too, because Inala was a wizard tribal deck, but was also a, a very spell-influenced deck. Like, a lot of the wizards were there to help you cast spells more easily. And the spells are the types of things that can definitely, just like we saw with Riku earlier on in the show, there are a lot of instants and sorceries that you can upgrade and upgrade and upgrade into over time because sets are always full of really bomb instants and sorcery so if a new one comes out in grixis colors you can upgrade those without necessarily changing the dynamics of all of the wizard tribal stuff that was going on in the deck so there's kind of a double up here for Inala compared to the other uh, decks from this series because those ones didn't have to split focus between creature types and spells whereas Inala was juggling both of those things and has a whole half of her deck that she can keep upgrading over and over and over again
1: so moving right along, as the uh, the Muppets would say, um, we're going to go into 2018, <laughs> um, which is where we saw another batch of uh, Planeswalkers that can be your commanders. Joey, I'm glad that you appreciated my Muppet reference right there. <laughs> I really do. I really do. All right. Well, perfect. Um, so this year, uh, we only had four Planeswalkers as commanders, um, but we had Amanatu which was the Esper-colored kind of top-deck manipulation type of deck. Uh, we had Lord Windgrace, the Jund Planeswalker, which was all about land and death and land death and all those things. Joey just loves... Way too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we had Sahili, the Is It Colored, um, another Artifact Matters type of commander there. And then we had Estrid the Masked, which was a Bant Chantress, um, which was all about um, enchantressing. All sorts of different things, um, lots of different counters. It was a very, very intricate deck, um, from bystander's point of view. Um, but this was when we revisited the planeswalkers as commanders again.
2: And looking at the stats here from, from these years, Amanatu, um, kept the least amount of cards, keeping 19. Then we look at Lord Windgrace, 10 cards more at 29. Um, Estrid kept 32. And that's Sahili the Gifted deck. 46 cards is what she kept from the original <laughs> pre-con. That's almost half.
0: That's, and because we're not including the basics, remember? Like, the basics were discounted, so they're not included in that 46 figure. There's a lot of artifacts that she seems apparently pretty keen to keep around in that deck. That deck also included some stuff like Saheeli's Directive and Saheeli's Artistry, so I totally imagine why she'd want to keep those around, too.
2: And one thing we should note here, we're, we're getting to the point where... Um, the timeline has gotten interesting. The difference between 2013, where eight years in the past, that's a long time to make changes versus, you know, three-ish years for these decks. So um, that's really starting, I think, to to, to make a difference here as well. There's just a lot less time over the years, both to get new cards and for people to decide they want to switch things up in these decks.
1: Well, and and if you look at you know Sahelian Astrid specifically, like they were doing something fairly specific with enchanters and enchantments. Excuse me, um, and artifacts, which is something that's kind of well fleshed out. That's not exactly a new thing. Lord Windgrace was a little little more innovative with um, land specifically going to the graveyard, and there was a lot of support with landfall type of stuff, but then Aminatu, this was the first time we'd really seen something super focused on top deck manipulation, so I think players kind of latched onto that a little bit and explored that, which is why you're seeing so few cards retained in the Aminatu deck, as opposed to the other three commanders, because it was just a newer type of theme that people hadn't really seen and had a chance to explore before.
0: Yeah, there is an open-endedness or a not. I I don't want to use the word restriction, but like- Like there are some commanders that do tend to feel maybe like they build themselves a little bit. So when you are playing an enchantress deck, that's, you know, there's some obvious stuff that you'll gravitate towards. Whereas Aminatu, just like the flavor of that commander herself, the fate's very much up to you. And she can go a lot of different directions.
1: Well, and and we've already mentioned a few different is it colored the artifact matters type of thing. So like there's a lot of competition in that color combination. So Sahili maybe just got bypassed over and and maybe people didn't do a whole lot of exploring with that deck as opposed to the other three, but especially with Amanatu.
2: Well, and if we want to look at the at the non-face commanders in these decks too, um, the face commanders tend to be what the deck very much builds around, but there's also some support for the other commanders that come in these lists. And the two decks here that kept the most cards, Sahili and Estrid, also have the the sub commanders in the decks that are very thematically very similar. The other cards in the Estra deck care about enchantments very much. So like the cards in the decks work with whatever commander you chose. Very much true of Sahili because it's all very artifact centric. With the other two, the, the shared characteristic pool, I think is less. Yeah, top deck matters, but the difference between Amanatu and, um, Yannette Is a much wider gap than the difference
0: between Estrid and Tuvasa, say. That makes a lot of sense. I totally, yeah, that I 100% there with you, Dana. All right, let's move now from 2018 to our next batch, 2019. And I was very interested to see the numbers for these because this was the year that WotC designed pre-cons based around specific mechanics. So this is where we had Ghired, the Naya Populate Commander, Savine, which was the Jeskai Flashback Commander, Kadina, which was Sultai Morph, a bunch of face-down creatures there, and Miss Angie Falconrath, who loves her madness. What are the numbers looking like on this batch? Here we're looking at, um, Miss Anjay Falconrath um, keeping
2: the least amount of cards, but it's still a lot of cards. It's still 41. Um, <laughs> that's once, a lot of cards. Yeah. And, and once again, I think time is, is a factor here. Yes. The, the decks are just a lot newer. So there's just been less time for changes. Um, I also think they probably have gotten a little bit better at making these decks and making the cards in the decks be relevant. That makes a difference as well. Um, then we move to Savin at 52, the flashback commander. Um, Again, that's a good bit of cards to keep. Um, Gired's keeping fifty-eight, and Woo! Kadena's keeping sixty cards from that deck. That that's is so a huge cards. amount.
1: Well, with Kadena, especially, like, Morph was not like there's maybe two sets, three sets that actually explore Morphs. So, like, your card pool to add to that deck is is fairly limited. Like, you might get a few support type of cards, but the core of the deck is gonna stay the same until the next time they go back to having Morph in a standard legal set because there's just not a whole lot to pull from. So you you're, you have a pretty shallow pool there. But I feel like that echoes across almost all of these
0: commanders. Like how many other flashback cards are there really that can fit into a Savine deck in the first place? Who well, also is not necessarily super popular. Or Gearred, I, I think that like that carryover number 58 does kind of surprise me. Because there's a lot of other cool token stuff that you can be doing. And I suspect that over time Ghirad particularly from this batch. may That number would be the most likely to go down out of all of these. But man, Angie Falconrath, the thing that is the most hilarious to me about the 41 cards that Angie has kept around, those are the cards that say Madness on them. Because Angie cut everything that doesn't say Madness from the deck. Because this commander has very much turned into a discard a bunch of Madness cards, draw a bunch of cards, discard Madness cards so that it can filter down to find a combo. Like, that is a very common trope that we see amongst NG builds nowadays. So it's just so funny to me to see the difference in cards that were or were not taken out here. Like, anything that didn't say Madness that was in that precon was just yoinked out of that list so fast so that it can make room for literally any card that says Madness on it simply because it says Madness on it.
2: And all those Madness cards will probably stay in this deck until we get Madness somewhere else and there's slightly better ones to put in.
0: So, like, those are all gonna stay there for that reason as well right but if you bought that cadena deck man there's a lot from that cadena deck that can just stick around because it's doing plenty of good work and where else are they putting morphs
1: not many places not sticking around okay let's move on to
0: 2020 um what do we have in 2020 for commanders 2020 is where we see some very interesting stuff going on here these were those wedge commanders with a bunch of interesting mechanics relating to Ikoria. so we had the cycling commander gavi and Jeskai. guy we had cath which was in the obzon colors and really enjoys a bunch of keywords from your graveyard very strange stuff going on there jarina Kudro was there in mardu for a human tribal deck we we also had Mutate showing up for Soltai with Otrimi as the face commander. And then finally, an Instance Matters teamer deck led by the lightning butt dino, Kalamax. Matt, what are the numbers that we're seeing here? Is there as much carryover as the last year or is it a whole lot lower?
1: What do we got? Um, I You might say it's just as much, if not overall, a little bit more, actually. Um, so Kalamax is the least carryovered. Uh, that's a new word I just coined, actually. So you're welcome, <laughs> world. Um but Kalamax has the least carryover from the pre-con to today's page for it. Um, 33 cards, and that's where we're starting, um, which is a decently high number already. Um, turns out, you know, when you have a bunch of instants that are being added to the game, literally every set, there's a lot of competition. Uh, but moving up next from that, we jump from 33 to 51 with Catherall. Um, Then from there, we go to 55 cards with Otrimi, and then 60 cards with Jarena Kudrow, and then 63 with Gavi Nest Warden. Um, <laughs> that's that's
0: so more than the Cadina was. <laughs> you, you, yeah, that's we so might have much. started
1: lower, but we climbed much higher from last from the last. That's set. So-
0: and again I feel like this has to be a big indicator of like the specific niche focus and the mechanics that were being built around here like we saw with Kadena how many morphs are they really making in a bunch of sets and that's true for Gavi as well how many cycling cards are there really there are only a handful of sets that have impactful cycling cards and not only that but Gavi got to keep a lot of her lands from that deck because there were so many lands with cycling that were in that pre-con too so she gets a big boost from those
2: yeah, on another hand, looking at Calamax, it had the most turnover. Um, you know, that's a, feels like a relatively open-ended commander as well. I've seen quite a few Calamax decks over the the years since these have came out, um, more so than probably the other four commanders combined. And there tends to be a lot of difference, at least in the decks I've seen, and how they play. So that seems to be the commander of this list that people have taken and seized on finding their own way to build it versus what is
0: suggested out of the box. A number that surprised me was Otrimi. I kind of actually suspected that Otrimi might be the highest here because... Uh, there's only so many mutants and they're all literally consolidated to just the Ikoria set. But Otrimi is also always on the pursuit for more interesting targets that you can mutate onto. So while the precon includes some stuff like Cold-Eyed Selkie that you'll definitely want to keep around, you're always going to be on the lookout for other things that you can mutate onto into the future. So it's kind of a fun duality that we're seeing there where there's only so many mutants, but there's other stuff that the deck is still up to that it will want to upgrade over time.
1: Yeah, the, the mutant targets are definitely going to be the... the- type of card that you're going to be looking to add to a decks because otherwise the the, the mutant stuff that, that's a fairly limited card pool um whereas like gavi nest warden like that's a fairly specific thing too like there's a bunch of cycling things um But a lot of them were already put in the pre-con decks. So unless they revisit cycling again, like I don't anticipate Gavi's numbers changing a whole lot either.
0: I don't either. So that brought us all the way through to 2020. And that's a lot of pre-cons. And here's the thing. In the year of 2021 and a little bit at the end of 2022, I think as well. Sorry, that's 2020, comma two, not 2022. There have been also plenty of other precon decks from the Zendikar precon sets with Anawan and Obun to the Commander Legends to Caldheim. We had Strixhaven. We had the new D and D precons as well, which are all very recent. So there's plenty of other precons that we could go through. But listeners, this is where we didn't want to fudge anything here because man, those decks are so recent that we kind of don't trust the data on them just yet. There hasn't been enough time for us to really say. Yeah, we're confident that this is the correct amount of turnover, even in the ones that we were just discussing that were a little bit more recent. It's just like, hmm, is there a recency bias going on here? So we are going to leave those off of the table for now and end it with 2020, which is just a very fascinating journey to see because, I mean, yeah, like like I think, Dana, you were noting earlier, the ones that we saw in 2011 had very little retainment, whereas the ones that we got to recently, man, those numbers just climbed yeah, it, there's
2: definitely a huge difference there. And I think once all of these newer decks that that we're not going to delve into too deeply have a few years under their belt, we'll see some interesting diversions among what kept a lot of cards and which ones wind up not keeping them over the course of several years.
1: So Dana, in response to that, I guess I, I have a question because it's something that I kind of noticed. I would say probably around like the 2018-2019 timeline. Do you think that maybe this is just WotC figuring out kind of what they Want the decks to be doing around the face commanders? Or do you think it's more of a recency bias? Because yes, the numbers do grow, but I think we all can agree like the theming and and how well WotC is built around a lot of these face commanders overall has gone up as well.
2: It's a combination of a bunch of that stuff, I would guess. Recency is definitely a factor for sure, but the decks have gotten much more focused in what they want to do, Um, you know, looking at the decks early on, the face commanders had a specific goal very much, but like the deck as a whole tended to not, Um, they've gotten a lot better about that the the reprints, particularly the last couple of years, um, things were there, there was a, a weak spot there, 2016, 2017, 2018, where people were very disappointed with the reprints in these decks. They've gotten much better about that, I think, the last couple of years, um, which gives you you know good cards to keep in the deck versus things you want to junk to go get that reprint in the first place that wasn't in the deck. I think that makes a big difference. Um, So, you know, all of those things combined, I think, are are factors in a way that they probably weren't a couple
0: years back. Yeah, that's very difficult to measure, but there's a a, a lot of column A, a lot of column B, I guess, going on. Like, when we look at the commanders that had the lowest uh, inclusion rate and retainment, um, they were all of the older ones. Like, Teferi and Derevi that we saw only kept six cards, which are, like— lands and mana rocks from their original precon compared to the ones that kept the highest were like Gavi and Kadina which are a lot more recent but there is also more of a like those are commanders that require a very specific amount of support in order for the strategy to work in the first place so Matt I don't have a good answer to your question because it's such a good question
1: well thank you I'm glad you appreciate it but like when when looking at the lowest commanders that carried over cards from the precon like, Teferi, Derevi, Marath like all of those are doing things that I don't know if Watsi fully kind of knew um, mm. how devoted the player base was to breaking commanders uh, <laughs> when they printed them at the time. Uh, so like all three of those commanders, like they do things that I don't think maybe they really were intended to be doing. Like Teferi with Chain Veil uh, goes into like any combo ever. Um, Derevi being a stacks like... If if you would dare Watsy to print a stacks heavy type of commander in, in 2020 2021, I, I think they would kind of giggle at you and like yeah right. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're they're doing things that I don't think Watsy really intended them for the, the commanders to be doing, and that's why I think we're not seeing any commanders in you know that same power level anymore either.
0: So I do have a question to respond to your question here, Matt, that is kind of covering the commanders that we didn't discuss here that were we felt a little bit too recent to get a good grasp on, especially some of them, the D&D sets in particular, are just so new that we don't have a whole lot of data on them yet, kind of period. Um, but I do want to pose a question to you guys now, looking over the commanders that we saw that have a lot of retainment or not very much retainment at all. Of the ones, you know, starting from that, like Zendikar, Commander Legends, the Strixhaven commanders, all of those recent ones within the past year, which commander do you suspect will have the greatest amount of retainment and which one do you think might have the least Dana do you have any ideas about which ones might keep a bunch from the precon, or which ones might deviate a lot from it over time um, for deviation the one that jumps out at me is a commander that I think I actually messed up on a
2: couple shows back and confused with Lathlis the dragon queen which was <laughs> Lathril um, yes. one that cares about elves laughter um, blade of elves I would guess that's the one that's going to see the most deviation um, it's just encouraging you to earn a bunch of good elves in that deck. We are always getting new elves, so that will constantly change. And people who build this deck will, you know, they, they built it and made some changes of what they had lying around, and assuming they keep it, they'll spend the next years going through old sets and finding good old elves that they maybe didn't have in this deck or didn't show up here to swap into this list as well. So you'll see a lot of that happening in this deck, I would guess, in in a way that maybe you don't in some other ones. So th- this is my will be my pick for the, the deck that will have the most turnover long-term.
1: See, I, I would argue against that um, and just say, just be due to the nature of the the mechanic it's kind of built around, but AC Tyrant of Gary Straits probably doesn't have the most oh. deviation because I mean, Landfall, you can do some very generic stuff. Like my AC deck, I, I have tried to at least focus and like keep in line a little bit because it is so absurdly powerful and do like sea monster tribal. But like with it just being landfall, it's it's very, very open-ended. So you can do a lot of different things with it. Like some of the pre-con cards that you do want to keep around, like Avenger of Zendikar are just so powerful, you don't take that out. But then there's also just a lot of open-endedness. Like we've seen landfall commanders in dang near every color combination at this point. So it wouldn't surprise me if the most uh, original, unoriginal, however you want to frame it, like the most new cards coming into the deck and taking out pre-con cards probably would be AC Tyrant of Guy Straits for me.
0: I think I would side with you more there, Matt. I, I specifically, I don't know, Dana, the any tribal commander deck, I feel like there's so many of the core like rogues or elves or whatever tribe was in that commander deck that a lot of those would end up staying. And that there are new ones, sure, but there are some that were in that deck that are still just so good that you never will take them out compared to a commander like AC. Like, yeah, the sea monster tribal is, as you said, kind of strategically keeping that deck in check because you could just make it purely landfall to just draw a whole bunch, which is a totally different strategy. That is, It, it feels a lot more like the the Derevi situation that we saw earlier. Where it's yeah. just like, hey, they built this thing that has one strategy, but when it gets optimized, it drifts
1: elsewhere. I mean, it's not often that you can accidentally build a landfall deck that will win with Laboratory Maniac-style win conditions, <laughs> but like AC Tiger of Gary Straits, like if you optimized it, you totally could, and it would be very, very hard to stop.
0: Interesting. I also kind of want to throw out that I think Zephy, the spellcaster commander, might also see quite a lot of changes over time because we noticed with other commanders earlier that when there were spells that you could upgrade over and over again, the Zephy deck has a lot of spells that you could like keep. I mean, we're always going to get good new instances in sorcery. So I kind of think that that one from the Strixhaven pre-cons, the spell Spellslingers, that there will be plenty of room for that to upgrade compared to some of the other strategies that we've got. So I think Zephy is my official pick personally for the one that will change the most.
1: See, so the, the one that I I hope changes the most is actually Ozgear, um, just because mm-hmm. Boros artifacts is something just very new. And, and a lot of people were very excited about that. So I hope we see that one changing the most because that to me had the most space to explore in the color combinations. But we'll we'll see what happens there.
0: Okay, fellas, this was a very data heavy episode and listeners, we hope that you enjoyed it because these are just so fascinating to go through the years and see all of those different commanders and which cards they still like from their pre-cons and whether they've been power crept out and all of that stuff. And you know what? We'd also really like to hear from you about which of these pre-cons was your favorite and on average, how many pre-con cards do you think you're keeping in your decks? Do they get optimized and tuned out of them, or do you keep a whole lot of them? We'd really love to hear from you about your thoughts on this topic as well, because it is definitely a fascinating one. But with that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. So fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it
1: that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathimus55, that is M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDH RETCast. We have guests every single week. The guests usually just destroy us, um, which is very cool (laughs) to see because we get to see a whole lot of cool decks out there. So make sure you tune in twitch.tv slash EDH RETCast Wednesday evenings.
2: And Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can read my articles um, once a month on EDH Rec and on Commander's Herald. You can hear me on other podcasts, Commander Central. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash
0: And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at EDH RecCast on both Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDH at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And we want to thank our sponsors. They are TCGplayer and CardKingdom.com and Altersleeves.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC or Altersleeves.com slash EDHRECcast to show your support for the show. Listeners, will be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.